You are now listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet. And now, here is your host, Cephas Crosslet. Hey everyone, it's been a little bit. <laughs> I was really busy, mostly with taking a break, going on vacation, and hanging out with family, so... You know, um, I needed it. So here I am back. And we are episode 24. We're kind of going back to the stuff we talked about at the beginning. And I'm just going to give a few more notes on it. But today we're kind of talking about what's going on um, in the world these days. And right now it's um, a lot of churches going back to in-person and it's um when you talk about uh you know going back to your churches um this one is looking at the other episode from the beginning about the church stockholm syndrome and what what i was talking about about the church stockholm syndrome is you know, you you used to belong at a church where, you know, maybe you were just um, taught wrong. You were kind of a spiritually or emotionally abused there. You know, just you know they they were somehow the the leadership was somehow just a a great figure in your life that you had to listen to, and then you just kind of kind of went with it because you know because of God or you know whatever reason, but. Um, you know, they take, took advantage of you somehow, maybe took your money or gave you trust or something. And, you know, they, they just kind of did whatever. And you left the church, let's just say hypothetical. But the Stockholm church Stockholm syndrome is that you come back to that church. Even though that was the same church that just messed you up in the head. You just come back to it. And we talk a lot about that in that first uh, in that one episode, we talk a lot about how, you know, the reasons why you could be going back is because you miss it. You you know, you miss that community, that the relationships you have. And it's hard to be away from those social groups. You know, once you really get plugged in and, and you get involved, it's hard to just kind of not go back. And so when you do leave those churches and then you end up coming back, you know, cause people always come back. Um, it's usually disappointing, right? Talk about disappointing returns to churches, right? Going back to church. And it's just, it's disappointing. Cause you're, you're there. You go back to that church, right? And you're just like, all right, I'm no longer, gets categorized in, in a certain type of group at this church because I left and now I'm back. But it's hard to to stay at that church and continue to go because so much of your identity in that church was tied to certain things you did and, and certain events that you were part of. And so it's disappointing because you come back and now you're just kind of, you're just there. 
watching whatever messed up thing happened to you happen to other people. And it just sucks. So that's one way of seeing that. It's just a disappointment, just going back. I'll tell you what's disappointing these days, and this is what I was mentioning up at the top. It's disappointing going back to church after these uh, COVID lockdown things and everyone's going to church in person. Um, I'm Right now I'm dealing with just dealing with the members of the church. And I'm just simply asking them, you know, are you ready to come back? And, you know, I'm definitely getting the, the different crowds at the church. Most of the churches in, you know, all around the world, they're reopened in person. And they have been reopened in person. Most of them are mask optional. And so I am asking this question and a lot of the members that are parents, they're saying some weird stuff like, oh, I'm not going back until everyone is vaccinated. <laughs> so in that, in that sense, they're not coming back because there's no way that a church can you know, make sure everyone who comes through those doors are vaccinated. So it's like, for me, I'm like, okay, do I just kind of count you out of the church now? Just Are you just taking a break and we'll just get back to you when we get back to you? Other people, they're just like, oh, whatever the law says. And I'm just like, really? With all the stuff that's going on in the news and, you know, the things happening and showing us that the people who made the laws are a little flip-floppy and showing their cards. Not to be one of those, but yeah. It almost seems like the people who are wearing the masks these days are the ones who are considered as the kooky controversy types of people now or conspiracy theory types of people now. It's very interesting how the tides have changed, like seriously. Um, but that is a disappointment as well to go back to church and to know that this is what you got to deal with as a leader, as a pastor at a church. So that's what I'm dealing with. Um, personally, I understand where everyone is coming from. Like, I get it. We all live through it. Hopefully. And we all we all understand the intricacies and, you know, this and that reason why people would, you know, believe in certain things and, you know, stick to certain stories. So... It's, it's very disappointing because for me, I think that it's important that we experience our faith without a mask. Does that mean that 
I am against people wearing masks. No, I'm not. But just because a few people, quote unquote, have to wear a mask, doesn't mean that everyone else is going to have to wear a mask. Once the mask mandate is lifted, there is no reason for someone else to continue to wear the mask. And this is where I kind of fall off away from a lot of my kind of liberal theological buddies because they're also kind of liberal in that political sense. But for me, I I, I totally fall off of that because I, I totally believe spiritually talking, we... We are a community, a faith community that basically just shares with each other the life that God gives us and the image that he created us in. That includes our facial features, like probably a huge percentage of how we communicate with each other, the cues, the social cues that we're giving out. masked up you could bear it's just so many things when you mask up really but i get it i get it i'm getting some weird ones saying like every kid needs to be vaccinated not just the adults and i'm like are you kidding me (laughs) it's it's very it's a very disappointing return back to church that's what we're doing here And I think, personally, I, I feel like I have shifted throughout this pandemic. I, I really thought that I was like this liberal guy, but it almost seems like I'm turning into a conservative in certain, in certain sections, in certain areas of my life. And certainly my views are not very conservative, but when it comes to things like that, I don't think even before the pandemic, I I think I I would, I would have said the same thing. Like I'm not gonna, I don't want to interact and minister to people with a mask on. And for people to really think that that is okay I don't know how I can even minister to people like that. Like, I don't know if I could even work with people like that anymore. So it's a shame, but I feel that this whole mask thing at the church is a point of just contention for me. And I am highly considering leaving the church that I'm in because if that's how the people feel and if we're going to be catering to that while churches all over, they're doing mask optional. But if we're going to be a church, the church that I'm working at, if we're going to be a church that says no mask required while other churches are doing mask optional, 
I'm going to be kind of um, not happy at a church like that. So I'm definitely almost, you know, in my mind, I'm almost like one, one foot out the door almost. So it's a disappointing return back to church. It's disappointing when you return to church, you know, after you leave it. And after COVID, it's a disappointing return back to church because now you're dealing with people who don't think like you and who don't believe the same things like you. So, I mean, I get it. That's really what it is. But at the end of the day, you got people saying, you know, we want all the kids to be vaccinated. You see, it's like you're, you're talking about other people's kids. So you're not going to bring your kid unless everyone and their kids under 12 are vaccinated. Well, that is kind of like a middle finger to the whole church, isn't it? And it's not like we don't understand. It's like we get it. You want to be safe about it. This is where conservatism kind of comes in right here is that then at the end of the day, you know, as we all understand the medical and, you know, the, the risks of, of the, the virus and all that now, is that what is going to prevent you from worshiping God with the community of faith? And if it is, then, hey, that's great. Then you know where, where your threshold is. But for me, <laughs> I, I can't even think like that. That threshold is definitely not there. I think that if, if we understand the science well enough and we see the patterns of what's going on in the world with this virus, we would all kind of agree that there are certain things that maybe we overreacted but it's okay because we didn't know. We didn't know any better. But I will not be at a church where you got people saying that you have to wear a mask to come and worship at this church. And I'm seriously I'm seriously about to talk to the senior pastor at the church and let let him know how I feel because I think at the end of the day if the senior pastor is gonna take that stance where we have to wear masks, even if you're vaccinated, even if there's no mask mandate. Well, if that's the case, I can't really work at a church like that. I don't, I, I don't think it's a petty thing. I think it's a huge thing that if I want to be at a church that Everyone believes that masks are really restricting to worship, that people could actually worship God in a safe way and they're not stupid. I might have to go to and find a church like that. Because I don't know how long I could serve and work at a church that requires me to wear a mask and to minister to others 
with a mask on to talk in a mask all day. And it's different. It's different. I see the world really like trying to convince themselves that, oh, you know, it's normalized now. It's not normalized at all. Everyone wants to act like it's a normal thing and that, oh, we've been doing it. It's fine. It's not fine. So, oh, you go to work in it. You go to a grocery store in the mask. You go this and that with a mask. And then you go to church in a mask. Of all places, it's like, we get it. It's a medical, you know, scare. It's like an emergency crisis or whatever. Then we're learning all these numbers from the CDC and all these things that kind of show it's contradictory to what they were saying. And so now that everyone's primed to wear masks and not to think of any other alternative, for me, it was weird. I was at, a, at the church meeting and everyone's saying, yeah, mask required. And I was like, I was the only one. I, wrote, I, rose, I raised my hand. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, but... I don't think, you know, I think we should be doing mask less for the little ones. The little ones don't need a mask to experience their faith. In fact, they probably need it more than anyone else. Everyone else kind of was able to grow up that way. And, and it, all the science too for kids. It's like... I cannot, for the life of me, understand how people are okay with doing masked up kids in children's church ministry. I'm seeing all these pictures of youth groups, college groups, you know, they're doing their retreats at the churches and other places, you know, they're kind of getting back into prison. They're all like six feet apart. They're all masked up, you know, sitting like apart from each other. I'm just like, what? Say, like, oh yeah, we're we're doing the best with what we have, and it's like, man, I wouldn't want to go to that thing. Something about just masks all day. It's in a church setting. It just doesn't rub well with me, and I know a lot of people who disagree with me. So. It's not like I'm discounting, you know, all this stuff without knowing what I'm talking about. I'm pretty sure we all know the facts, even the intricacies, all the little complex complexities of the virus and how it is. Most of us have access and we can get access to all that information, all right? So it's not like I'm just talking out of my butt, which kind of I am, but at the same time. I'm just saying how disappointing it is to go to church. For me at this point, this is this this moment is not a church Stockholm syndrome. It's like I am now chained, you know, to a big old, you know, gear underneath the 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 land. And I'm just pushing this gear that is connected to this little widget thingy and it spins and then you, it gets to the surface and all that spinning the widget is for this 
this display of donuts. You know, donuts in the display case churning around. And it's because of all this stuff. I feel like I'm going to church being a slave now. I'm just, I'm just a robot. And I don't want to be that. Just the thought of that is just like, it's just making me not want to do church anymore. So if you want to know how one pastor out of millions of pastors in the world, how one pastor feels, this is how I feel. I hate the fact that there are people in the congregation who are, they just don't get it. They just follow whatever the law says, even though CDC and all these people, they have shown that they are backtracking on their claims and on their, um, what, what you call their, their recommendations. And it's like, I, I don't like it. You, do you think it's like that at church? And it's like, okay, so we have to now deal with your kind of misinformation understanding of, of the facts. Like we have to deal with that now as pastors. Like we don't want to come back. I'm sorry. I don't want to come back to a church as a pastor and have to deal with the mask issue. I want it to be optional and people who have to wear it, they shouldn't feel ashamed to wear it, but also people who don't want to wear it shouldn't feel forced and shouldn't feel ashamed at all to wear it, to not wear it. So in some ways, uh, I'm kind of glad that some of these members are telling me that because by fall, we are um, trying to open up again. And so at that point, we have made a decision as a staff that we're going to just stop the online videos for most of the departments. And one of those departments are mine. So I'm just going to basically tell the person, hey, look, you know, you said you're, you're not going to come here unless everyone is vaccinated. Well, we're doing in person and we're going to be stopping the online church. So, um... I can still keep you on the list for events or maybe you just want to take a break because you're not going to come to church. I just kind of want to tell them that like, Hey, just stop coming. I don't want you to come to this church, but that's just, just me being a dick. All right. Anyways. Um, last time I, I, um, like a lot of episodes ago, I was talking about, the gift of tongues. And it's interesting because these days you don't really hear much about it, right? Unless you're in those charismatic Pentecostal circles. But you used to see it all the time on TV, on, on YouTube and stuff. But these days you don't see much of it. And I'm wondering, you know, what happened to it? It was so trendy once. And I'm wondering why it's not so trendy anymore. Like there must have been something about the 70s, 80s and 90s that, you know, some sort of, you know, cultural kind of understanding and people were just amazed at the fact that you could, I guess, make noises, make sounds and say it's religious. I don't know. Like it was probably like, the world as a culture was moving away from, you know, chants, chants and chanting, you know, in, in religious uh, context. And 
And this was one of those ways that it was kind of like a chant, but it was more of like kind of speaking gibberish, right? So I don't know why it's not as big, you know, mainstream Christian culture like it used to be. Like it used to be huge. I mean, that's all it used to be, really. That's why you have some generations of people who uh, who have come out of churches who that's all they know is that, that kind of Christianity is just that, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, saying a bunch of uh, stuff that doesn't make sense. And it's funny because when you do see a church every now and then that that do talk about the gift of tongues, like modern, like today, it almost seems like it's so old school. Like, it's almost like, man, like, and, and not not like, you know, oh, that's so, so old school. That was like the old, you know, TV show. It's more like you're watching an, an old black and white Western old. Like, you're like, oh, okay, this is old stuff. And, and you, you see that, you know, they, they're using the same language, same vocabulary about describing, you know, gifts of tongues and the gifts of the spirit from the 80s and 90s. You're like, man, you could, you could tell it's outdated. So it's very interesting that that, is, that, that happens too. He's like, you don't see much of it, but when you do see it on the mainstream, like on, you know, the media, it, it just seems outdated. And... I'm not sure. I think I've, you know, I've seen a couple videos with um, people doing it and they're trying to make it hip, you know, they're trying to make it more trendy, but you're just like, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's just not appealing anymore. That, that whole like, you know, that kind of just talking stuff. And you're like, oh, oh, what's, what are they saying? You know, people are just like, yeah, it's just, People kind of dismiss it, so it's in one sense it's kind of it's kind of sad, you know. People just dismissing it, and you're just like, oh gosh. Um, I'm gonna talk about one more thing. Um, yeah, talked about masks, basically. Um, I'm talk about one more thing, and then we're gonna go to our Bible study, Bible reading, and it's gonna be the Book of Hosea. We're gonna be in chapter two today. But uh, last thing I want to talk about today is something that I just kind of ran into again today. I was at church. I was talking to a good buddy of mine, and he's actually the you know the multimedia guy for this other church that rents from our church. And I overheard him talking with the main pastor of that church, and all I heard I could definitely hear the the pastor on the other side of the phone, and what I heard was. Him asking my friend, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever say it or do anything like that? And I was like, whoa, that's kind of messed up. And I was waiting for my buddy to get off the phone with him so that I could ask him what happened. But he just kept on going on. And I was like, all right, I just left the room. You know, later later that day, you know, I just had a lot of talking with my buddy, and I just, you know, I just to, I let him know about this pastor that he's working for. I was like, basically letting him know that I don't like the guy that much, like that I kind of see right through his his whole spiel, and that I felt that it was messed up that he he was talking to my friend like that. Not that, not just because he's an adult, but. Just because he's a human being, like you don't just 
You don't tell, you know, when you're talking to someone, you don't say, you, you know, you don't ask him the question, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever do anything like that? Like, you don't say that kind of stuff to anyone unless you're a dick, you know? And this guy is a total dick now, like to me. I, and I had my suspicions. From day one, I had so many suspicions and this one kind of topped it off. And so many other things that I talked about with this this friend of mine. But it got it got to me thinking about how this church actually hired this idiot guy uh, to be the pastor. And it reminded me of all that stuff that happened. So basically, I'm talking to my friend and I'm, I'm talking to him about how this pastor, he's been sending out so many red flags for me. And I'll, I'll list a few. It's... Um, so this guy, he is the new pastor for the church that is renting from our church, all right? And the church that hired him was desperate. They were desperate in, in, in finding a pastor because their pastor left. And for some reason, the amount of time that that pastor gave was not enough to find the pastor to replace it. So they were desperate. They just kept on looking and looking and looking. And they found this guy. And um, when they found him, they, you know, not found him, but he was one of the candidates. And so I got to meet him. He's a super cool guy in person. And so I got to hear his sermon. I was like, oh, it's pretty good. And I tried to search him back then. I, I couldn't find much about this guy. And I was like, okay. And I should that should have been that should have been something to trip me up, but it didn't back then. And so he actually gets hired. You know, everyone likes him. He's a great guy. You know, he's really relatable. And one of the first times I met with him, I told him, you know, straight up, like, look, I have a lot of problems with certain leaders at this big church. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who love to cast a vision, yet not do anything, not lift a finger. To, to help it come to fruition. And I let him know, like, there's certain leaders in this church that do that, and I don't appreciate it, and I don't like it when they take advantage of me. And ever since I told him that, like, he literally, like, kind of left me alone. And I was wondering, what what is that all about? You know, more weeks go by, whatever. We work together. Everyone's cool, right? But I noticed he is asking this person who okay basically he's making a lot of moves i don't agree with he's asking a person to come and preach in his place you know once a month already you know he hasn't he hasn't even been there for six months he's already asking someone to come and preach once a month for for him um and this person who preaches they they do not know how to preach uh, it's one of those people who pro projection preaches, so just projecting toward the audience whatever their their personal emotions and thoughts are, and then putting a verse behind it. And then at the end of the sermon, they just ended up crying because they got so emotional. And what that does is, you know, you don't get anywhere with the message, but at the end when you're crying after you kind of talk about Jesus a little, it gets other people in the in the audience crying, and. Now that the audience is crying, they're like, wow, this person's so powerful. But that, that person didn't say anything. So this kind of person was invited multiple times into this congregation to preach. 
And for me, it's like, listen, if you listen to this person preach once, you would never have invited that person back again. But he kept on inviting this person. And for me, I was like, that is another, that is a red flag. Like, why would any pastor do that to their congregation? Like, keep inviting someone to teach them in the main service something that is just basically gibberish and then crying at the end and everyone cries and they pray and you feel like something happened. So that happened. Then this this pastor is basically trying to get me to be the youth pastor. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not the youth. I already have a role at the church. And now you're saying that you know, that position is, you know, expendable. And so can you become the youth pastor? I was like, no, I cannot be the youth pastor. I'm sorry. And so they find a youth pastor finally. And I'd get to talk to this youth pastor. And I'm basically telling this guy like, dude, look, they've been trying to take advantage of me this whole time. They're going to try to take advantage of you. You got to really put your foot down, bro. Not only do they ask this guy, this new youth pastor, to preach once a month already. The first Sunday back of this year, what the first in-person Sunday service that they did, this main pastor guy did not preach. He had the youth pastor preach. That's weird, right? Or is it just me? So think about it, a whole year of quarantine and then your first Sunday back of the new year, the main pastor isn't preaching. No, they somehow talked the youth pastor into preaching that sermon for the adults, not the youth, really. And then the Easter service, it was all supposed to be a special service. You would think that the main pastor would preach at the Easter service, but no, this guy got the youth pastor once again to preach the Easter service. And if that's not red flags for you, listen, before COVID, I was so happy we got this pastor, but I could never join the service because I was doing my own service with my own ministry. So I would just be like, oh, now I could finally listen to this guy's sermons. And I would go up on the website. But this guy had a policy of not putting his MP3 sermons on an archive online and that's for me that's super red flags because as a pastor if i don't want my sermons online there's only one reason why it's not a copyright issue it's because you want to reuse those sermons and make sure no one else hears them ever again so that those sermons can be fresh the next time you use it A pastor who's, and this this pastor is fighting tooth and nail not to put his stuff online. And for me, a pastor who who, who fights tooth and nail not to have his, his sermons put online in archives, which is a basic thing. You would think that's something super basic that every pastor's, every church's have is that their pastor's sermons are online available for everyone. But this person, even before COVID, he had no sermons that I could listen to. 
because I would want to listen to those sermons, but I go online, there's nothing for me to listen to. So guess what? I was starting to listen to another pastor's sermons at another church. What else do you think happens? Is that super red flags? But here's something I really wanted to share with you is that all those red flags, seriously, he doesn't put his sermons online. He has stupid reasons not to. He says, oh, if I put it online, I'm going to set a precedent for people not to come to church in person. So that's why I didn't want to put it online. You could have probably used that in back in 2003 to 2005 or 2007, but it's 2021 right now. It's like you cannot be using that excuse ever again. Oh, I don't want to put my sermons online because it's going to deter people from coming in person. Like that, it was, that was an old issue that was taken care of before 2010 in church culture, like in church leadership culture. Now you stop talking like that because you understand the value it provides for the people, even to the church. So red flags already, you didn't want to put your freaking stuff online, really? Then this guy's overworking his youth pastor and actually making the youth pastor do his job. The youth, youth pastor should be 100% a youth pastor making 100% youth sermons and being concerned about youth. They shouldn't be even even a little bit close to you know adult services and making adult sermons once a month. That is so messed up. That's another red flag. It's like, why? what is going on? But one of the biggest red flags about this guy was this. Even to this day, remember when we were looking for candidates and we were, I, I, I said I was looking and researching if I could find anything on this guy and I, I couldn't? That's the red flag. 2020, 2021, whatever year after that, you're looking for candidates for pastors for your church. But if you can't find anything online publicly or it's hard to find information on a certain pastoral candidate online, that should be the red flag. And, I, and for me, I'm flabbergasted that the leadership of this church let that slide. Like even till this day, I was checking today. I was looking up this guy's name, the churches in different areas that he quotes, you know, it says he's from and you can't find crap like all, and the websites that are provided for the church this person puts down is like this generic thing that looks like it's from the 90s. It's like one of those and you're like, wow, there are shysters still out there and why not? A con man always looks for churches that are desperate desperately looking for some some pastor to fix them. And so the biggest red flag is that information for the pastoral candidate is not publicly and easily available. And whatever this guy said to kind of ease weasel his way out of that explanation, man, it must have been a really good excuse. But if you can't find information freely and easily about a pastoral candidate, that is a huge red flag and that should make you just automatically take that person off to the stack of, of, of applications because if that person can't even be reputable and can't even publicly kind of 
show the timeline of his life to people who would rely on that? Like, let's say a flock of a, a faith community who relies on their pastor. Like, if you can't even provide that, it's like, not don't even bother. So if you're ever part of a board or you know someone part of a board looking for a pastor and that church is super desperate, make sure when they find a pastor or a few candidates that they could easily and quickly search and find information about them. And then they could like pick up their records and be like, okay, this person is legit. Because this guy that I'm dealing with now, he is ridiculous. I can't believe that. All right, that was my rant. Rant is done. Talked about masks. Oh, my rant about masks. I'm that guy now. And finally, the, the rant about pastoral candidates. Let's go to the book of Hosea. And we are on chapter two today. Um, last, last time we learned about just the background of Hosea and how he was asked by God to get a whore, right? A prostitute says a wife of whoredom and, um, to have multiple children by this prostitute lady, uh, I believe three kids and to name them certain names as kind of like symbolic to how the relationship with the the people of Israel are to God. And we are now in chapter two. Um, chapter one ends with you know, him naming the kids and then talking about the restoration of Israel. And then it goes into this. Chapter two. Say to your brother, Ami, and to your sister, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, where I will strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and turn her into a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no pity because they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers. They will give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go 
and returned to my first husband, for it was better with me then than with now. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished upon her silver and gold that they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her festivals, her moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed festivals. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my pay, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the wild animals shall devour them. I will punish her for the festival days of the Baals, when she offered incense to them, and decked herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will now allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. From there, I will give her her vineyards, and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bow. For I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth, and they shall be mentioned by name no more. I will make for you a covenant on that day with the wild animals, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will take you for my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. On that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow him for myself in the land. And I will have pity on Lo-Ruhamah, and I will say to Lo-Ami, You are my people, and he shall say, You are my God. A lot of um, kind of poetic structure here and um, God symbolically talking to the woman as uh, Israel. At least that's how I'm reading it. Very um, graphic imagery here. But there is hope at the end. So I, I think that's pretty funny how 
there's a lot of that stuff going on in the Bible. It's like, oh, like doom and gloom, doom and gloom, but there's hope. But you guys are still idiots, so doom and gloom, doom and gloom, but there's going to be hope. And it's like, you see that nonstop throughout the Old Testament, seriously, it's like, Doom and, doom and gloom because of what you did, but there's hope. But don't forget, you did wrong. And so for that, you know, you can get a little more doom and gloom, but there's hope. And so that's kind of like, uh, that's this Hosea 2, you know, doom and gloom and then hope. You know, and a lot of imagery about how Israel kind of just chases after the wind while, you know, God is looking for the loyalty from them. And that's why, or not, that's how he's using Hosea and the prostitute wife. Um, but there's hope. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's been a while since I made a, a podcast. I think it's been about a month because I, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. But... This is very interesting on, you know, you look at the, an I'm looking at the analytics. I'm like, wow, you know, it's huge uh, awakening about this podcast stuff. Listen, I, I do this for free right now. It'd be great if I could do this for, you know, for some sort of living. So, you know, I'm putting my stuff out here. If you happen to know someone who would need or who would love to hear my stuff, please share my podcast with them. Follow my podcast. Give it a good rating on whatever your podcast site is. Um, share it on your social media and share it with people you like, people you know who would be able to use this. And please, please review and give me like really good rating, like five stars. And message me at manifestchristianity.com at gmail.com, sorry, manifestchristianity at gmail.com. My other show, Memoirs of a Christian Minister with Cephas Crosslet. I haven't recorded anything new, so if you haven't heard anything from last episode, there's really nothing new right now. I'm still getting stuff together for uh, my life, really. I'm putting stuff together because summer started, I'm kind of winding down, I'm kind of just cleaning up and doing everything again, so... Uh, please send me a message on my email, any uh, ideas, any feedback, questions, comments, um, thoughts. It'll be great. All right. Hey, we're going to end a little early. Usually I do like a full hour, but it seems like I ran out of stuff to talk about. All right. But it was great talking with everyone. I hope to uh, see you next time. All right. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to Manifest Christianity with Cephas Crosslet.